Say good evening. I bring Christian greetings to you in the precious name of Jesus from Holmes County, Ohio. I must say I did feel like a welcome stranger here already tonight for those who I've met. That's a good um, illustration for the sermon tonight. The nugget of gold. Well, I'm happy to be here. I'm happy some of my family came along. My wife, Rhoda, and my two sons, Spencer the Elder and Connor the Younger. We left behind three daughters. Jocelyn is the oldest. Tiffany is the middle. She's married to a fine young man by the name of Trent. So we inherited one there. And our third daughter is Alana. So that's our family. We did bring a picture, and I guess it's supposed to be somewhere where you can see it. And that's who we are. So you look like strangers. I only knew a few people here, but I trust by the end of the week we can be, we know each other in a different way, in a better way. I cover your prayers. I told Josh I feel the doubts and the fears that go with commitments like this this week, so I cover your prayers. The Spirit would work, and I would only be a vessel. My desire is to pour out and uh, that the name of Jesus would be lifted up this evening and all week. appreciate your attendance here. It shows me that there is an interest in the work, interest in the word, and an interest in your eternal soul. So we have a revival meeting here tonight, and it's up to us whether, individually, whether we will be revived, whether we will receive revival. So children... We do want to have a children's class, so why don't we plan on having a children's class tomorrow night? And I don't know how you all do it, but we'll plan to have a children's class tomorrow night, and if I don't get too scared, I'll try and have another one Thursday night, all right? So when you come on tomorrow night, make sure you bring your parents along, because I want to talk to them too. So children's meeting tomorrow night, we'll see what what we can come up with. So yeah, by uh, way of a theme this week, I didn't know if there would be one. I really didn't. But as I considered and thought about it, I believe that the burden of the Lord tonight, uh, this week is two words. The heart. Simple. The heart. Now, you know that God Almighty, the Creator, He created us. He placed within us a heart. Well, it's not the ticker the night that God is so concerned about, although He does want it to be ticking. But in His sovereignty, He created within every man a void and a place called the heart where where He desires to dwell, all right? And then, so there's a vacancy there in a person that Jesus Christ wants to dwell in. The heart, it's the seat of emotion, dwelling place of our spirit or our soul. It's where, it's, it's, it's how we communicate with God. So tonight the, uh, the message is, is, is about that. So turn with me in your Bible. I believe God has a keen interest in our heart. Turn with me in your Bible to 1 Samuel. This is an introductory verse here. 1 Samuel chapter 16, 
I find, I find something very important and very interesting here. As we think about a theme of the heart, So what we have here in 1 Samuel chapter 16 is, is God is desiring another king. And so he's telling Samuel, you need, a, you need to do something for me again. Uh, Saul isn't doing too well over here, so we're going to have to find another king. And I have found one. But you're going to have to go and anoint him. And Samuel says, um, I don't want to go there. What if Saul finds out? That's the setting this is. He said, ah, God said, go down, to, go, go down there to, uh, to Bethlehem there to that, that, that man by the name of Jesse. He has a few boys down there. And uh, you go down there, you're going to anoint one of them. Now, so, so Samuel obeyed. He did. He went down there. And it says here in 1 Samuel chapter 16, it says here, well... First of all, they had to find the boys. So Jesse stands over here and he lines them all up. And, you know, if you have boys, you're proud of your boys. And he was proud of his boys. I, I, I figure he thought they were pretty, pretty good-looking boys. And he had them lined up there. And Samuel's supposed to anoint one of those. So that's the setting we come to here. Now think about this. Let's look what it says here in 1 Samuel chapter six, 16, verse 6. And it came to pass, when they were come... Now listen, that he looked on Eliab and said, Surely the, Lord has a, is, the Lord's anointed is before me. See what Samuel did? Now look, verse 7. But the Lord said unto Samuel, Look not on his countenance or the height of his stature, because I have refused him. For the Lord seeth not as man seeth, for man looketh on the outward appearance. But the Lord looketh on the heart. Does that concern you tonight? That God isn't really all that, all that interested in how we're looking here in the pews. And we look so nice. And when I look at you, you all look saved tonight. And so, Samuel, the God's, God's prophet, is looking at the fella and he says, he looks like he would be a king. And God says, don't look on the outward appearance. See, we can fool every man and woman in the house here tonight. Just as Samuel was fooled by looking on the outward appearance. God has something more important. He says, he says for the Lord looketh on the heart. And that's what, that's what I want, to, want us to consider tonight. As we go into the message Are you concerned about God looking on the heart? Does it trouble me, does it trouble you tonight that he doesn't really care how we look? But he's awfully concerned about what is in the heart. So the sermon title tonight is Will We Find Jesus? You see, we're going to look for him. Yeah. We're going to look for Jesus tonight. The Bible's very clear where we ought to find it. The question is, will we find him? So turn with me to the, in your Bibles to 1 John. Because in 1 John, it gives us such a good picture and such clarity of where Jesus ought to be. 
Now, when I tell you that Jesus ought to be in our hearts tonight, I don't want us to think that the Jesus is the man in the flesh is dwelling in me. No, he said he's going to send somebody, a comforter, so by the Spirit he dwells within our, our hearts, this heart I'm talking about. But we want to see if, he, if, he, if he's there. Well, John wanted us to uh, have a good understanding of where Jesus is. So in 1 John 4, we're going to look at a few verses to confirm this. In 1 John 4, verse 4, it says this, Ye are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. So we have the blessing of having God dwell within us. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world. All right, verse 13, that same chapter. Hereby we know that we dwell in him, and he in us, because he hath given us of his spirit. It is by his spirit that he dwells in us. And John is trying to convince us and trying to get us to understand this. John writes very simple. We can read his writings very easily and understand that God desires to dwell within that place called our heart. That's a relationship. Verse 15. Whosoever shall confess that Jesus is the Son of God, God dwelleth in him, and he in God. It's as simple as confessing Jesus Christ as our Lord and Savior. It's to have the Spirit of God within us. And then within that heart, we welcome Jesus and not the stranger. The welcome stranger that Dan talked about. See, there's a possibility tonight of the welcomed stranger being therein, instead of Jesus Christ. Very plain. That if we confess that Jesus is the Son of God, and we call upon Him, and we welcome Him, and we invite Him. Verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God hath to us. God is love. Very simple. And he that dwelleth in love dwelleth in God, and God in him. That is what the scripture says. God Almighty, the sovereign creator, will dwell within us in that place called our heart. It was created for him alone. But sometimes we forget. So John is very clear here, and I am so thankful that he has clarified to me tonight that Jesus Christ can dwell within my heart. It's simple. It's easy to understand. And that is what God desires. He desires a relationship. Now we're going to go into John chapter 5. John wants us to know something here in John chapter 5 because... He says eight times, or he writes, however you want to say that tonight, eight times that he wants us to know something. He wants us to know. I counted them up, I come up with eight that he says. We're not going to read the whole chapter, but in this chapter he says that we can know. 
Now I wonder what are some things that he wants us to know. So he first of all tells us where Jesus is supposed to be found. Now he wants us to know something. And when we know something, we can, we can stand upon it, all right? So when I know that I'm right, I'm right. That's where I'm going to stand, right? So we can know something. Confident. I'm going to go, I'll go ahead and read. We're going to start in verse 10, and I think I'm going to read to the end of the chapter because John wants us to know so much things here. We're not going to look at all of it, but we're going to start in verse 10 and see what John wants us to know. And then we'll look at a couple of the verses in verse 10. He that believeth on the Son of God hath the witness where? In himself. He that believeth not God hath made him a liar, because he believeth not the record that God gave his Son. And this is the record, that God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. Verse 12. And he that hath the Son hath life, and he that hath not the Son hath not life. I trust tonight that you did not expect me to come from Holmes County and to give you a lot of options tonight. There is two. Either we have life or we don't have life. There's two options. I can't find any other options here. Either we have the Son and we have life, or we have not the Son and we don't have life. Either we have Jesus Christ in this void called our heart, or we do not. Either we're dead or we're alive. Not many options here. Now this here is precious. Verse 13. This, here, this one here you can take to the bank, folks. Young people, stand upon it. These things. This is why he wrote. John says, these things have I written unto you. And he's saying, I wrote all these things throughout this epistle. And he's closing in chapter 5 here. But he's saying, I wrote all these things to you for this very reason right here, folks. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God, that ye may know that ye have eternal life, and that ye may believe on the name of the Son of God. And this is the confidence we have in Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He heareth us. Do you know that you are saved tonight with confidence that Jesus Christ is in the heart? That is the purpose for John writing right there. He says it, that we can have confidence Fifteen, if we know, and if we know that he hear us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petition that we desire of him. If, if we see, a, if any man see his brother sin a sin which is not unto death, he shall ask and he shall give him life for them that sin not unto death. There is a sin unto death. I do not say that ye shall pray for it. All unrighteousness is sin. John says it right here. All unrighteousness is sin. And there is a sin not unto death. We know that whosoever is born of God sinneth not because he is begotten of God. Because he that is begotten of God keepeth him, and the wicked one toucheth him not. Verse 19. And we know that we are of God, and the whole world lieth in wickedness. Verse 20. And we know that the Son of God is come and hath given us an understanding, that we may know him that is true. And we are in him that is true, 
even in his Son, Jesus Christ. This is the true God and eternal life. Now, what if we stopped reading there? Isn't he done? Is John done writing the chapter 5? Is he done writing the first epistle? Why? Why does he say, little children, keep yourselves from idol, amen, and he signs it off, he's done. We do not add to that or take away from that epistle. He says, keep yourselves from idols. After he writes all this about finding Jesus, knowing Jesus, being confident that he's there in our heart, he says, little children, keep yourselves from idols. And I ask you, why does he have to write that? Why does he have to put that in there? Could there be a possibility that that void in our heart that is for Jesus Christ alone is something else within? Little children, keep yourselves from idols. Now I want, I want you to be confident tonight that you are saved. And sometimes we as believers, we begin to doubt. Sometimes we do. But we can claim this promise that we can know. And, and here, here's the difference. So, we know if we're not saved. There you have it. We know, we know when we're not saved. We know if we're not. We know that we have not invited Jesus Christ into our heart. We know that we stand in need of a Savior. We know we are not saved. Now, Satan will come and he'll cause us to be confused, tries to cause us to be confused, and what in doubt. And if we can identify an idol and a sin in our life, then we know we need to repent. But if we are confused and we're doubting and we can't place our finger on anything that is wrong in our lives, and we're not sure why we feel the way we do, Satan can keep us in that confused state, doubting our salvation, and we're not living in victory. So if the Spirit moves this week, if the Spirit speaks, if the Spirit points, it is God saying we need to get right. We need to make it right. We need to reconcile. So I want us to be, to be assured. So tonight we're going to have a little procedure called an open-heart surgery. How many of you here have ever had an open-heart surgery for real? One. Was it fun? No, see, tonight it's not going to be fun either. Open-heart surgeries aren't fun. It's vulnerable. But we have to perform an open-heart surgery tonight because I said we're looking for Jesus. We're not qualified tonight. We're not qualified to have open-heart surgery on our brother and sister. We are only qualified to do a self-examination and have a heart examination and have a heart procedure on ourselves. We're not qualified to do that for a brother and sister. 
Would you want your brother or sister to perform the procedure tonight? You know, I was preparing a sermon, this, this sermon actually on John chapter 5. And I was at work. I went for lunch. I don't know just what I was thinking when I went to lunch, but I knew I was preparing this sermon a while back. And there on the shelf, on just a, uh, just a, just a quarterly printing production thingy, the advertisements that they got sending out, it was actually on the packing paper, right on top of this newspaper packing paper. I found this article. And it's entitled, What Did They Find? What did you find? This here is a parable. I'm going to read it to you. And I said we're going to do open heart surgery to see what we can find. So what did you find? The surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. The boy's parents sat across from him. Tomorrow morning, the surgeon began, I'll open up your heart. You'll find Jesus in there, the boy interrupted. The surgeon looked up annoyed. I'll cut your heart open, he continued, to see how much damage has been done. But when you open my heart, you'll find Jesus in there. The surgeon looked to the parents who sat quietly. When I see how much damage has been done, I'll sew your heart and chest back up, and I'll plan how much to do next. But you'll find Jesus in my heart. The Bible says he lives there. The hymns all say that he lives there. You'll find him in there. The surgeon had had enough. I'll tell you what I'll find in your heart. I'll find damaged muscle, low blood supply, weakened vessels, and I'll find out if I can make you well. You'll find Jesus in there too. He lives there. Now the surgery is done. The surgeon left. He sat in his office recording his notes from the surgery. Damaged aorta, damaged pulmonary vein, widespread muscle degeneration, no hope for transplant, no hope for cure. Therapy, painkillers and bed rest, prognosis. Here he paused, death within one year. Why, he cried aloud, why did you do this? You put him here. You put him in this pain. You cursed him to an early death. Why? The Lord answered and said, The boy, my lamb, was not made for your flock for long, for he is a part of my flock and will forever be. Here in my flock he will feel no pain and will be comforted as you cannot imagine. His parents will one day join me, join him here, and they will know peace, and my flock will continue to grow. The surgeon's tears were hot, but his anger was hotter. You created that boy, you created that heart, and he'll be dead in months. The Lord answered, The boy, my lamb, shall return to my flock, for he has done his duty. I did not put my lamb with your flock to lose him, but to retrieve another lost lamb. The surgeon wept. The surgeon sat beside the boy's bed. The boy's parents sat across from him. The boy awoke and whispered, Did you cut open my heart? Yes, said the surgeon. What did you find? asked the boy. I found Jesus, the surgeon said. What are we going to find tonight?
Are you concerned? Are you convinced that when we have our heart surgery tonight that we will find Jesus? Are we convinced enough that Jesus Christ lives within me that I would emphatically tell the surgeon that you'll find Jesus in there five times? There's a disclaimer that goes with heart surgeries. What if the knife slips tonight and the surgery turns into a fatality? Who claims your soul? I can tell you who claims your soul, who claims my soul tonight, is the one who is on the throne. The one who is in the throne room of our heart is the one who will claim our soul. It's imperative tonight that Jesus Christ rules and reigns alone. So therefore, John writes in verse 21, little children, keep yourselves from idols because the potential he knows that, the, that man has to have an idol in his life, in his heart. So I'd like to look at 10 possibilities here of what we can find in our heart. As we proceed with this open heart surgery. So tonight if we think about it, that we're laying extremely vulnerable and the surgeon begins the procedure and he cuts into that heart and he starts cutting. And he keeps cutting. And he keeps cutting. Nothing happens. And he takes the heart, and he, he opens it, and he looks inside. And he finds the throne vacant. It's a heart where Jesus has never been invited in. He opens the heart, and the throne room is vacant, and there is nobody there because Jesus Christ has not been invited into that heart. And we say, well, I thought he was there. Or maybe we say, he used to be there. How tragic. But did you know that in the scriptures, in Judges 16, verse 20, the scripture says about Samson that he wist not the Lord was departed from him. That's the possibility tonight that when he opens our heart, we find it vacant because Jesus does not share the throne. Samson wist not that the Lord was departed from him. Tragic. Tragic. Number two. So the surgeon begins his procedure and he attempts to cut into the heart. He attempts to open the heart. But upon a first attempt, the scalpel hits rock hard, breaks comes apart because there's simply a lump of coal. A lump of coal. We say that couldn't happen. 
You say that couldn't happen to a man's heart. Well, let me tell you what a lump of coal is. Coal is nothing more than years and years of decayed matter compressed and held together and pressed down and pressed down year after year after year. All the garbage and turmoil and hurts and the pain and the sin is pressed together and pressed together and we create that lump of coal and the surgeon just now found it with a scalpel. Right there in the heart where Jesus desires to rule and reign is the lump of coal from the years and years of decayed matter. Could it be that tonight I have a lump of coal? Number three, young people. Going to talk to the young people. Both young people, young boys, young men, and young ladies. What is it? When the surgeon opens the heart, could it be young men? That when he cuts and he peers in, he finds none other than the mist across the aisle that stole the heart. And she's been reigning there for a while. Or maybe it's the immodest lady that crossed our path sometime here recently, and she never did get back off the throne. Or you invited her to rule there. Young men, I don't know if there's anything like this down in these parts. I just arrived, but it's like this back home. Maybe they open that heart and they take a, a look inside and they find a, nothing other than the jacked up Chevy 3500 diesel. Dual stacks dumping diesel smoke. Did you know Jesus doesn't like diesel smoke? He likes purity. And so diesel smoke causes him to vacate his throne. And so you drive that, and you, you have this, this Chevy truck, and you slap a Jesus saves on the tailgate to sanctify it a little bit, and then you drive it like you mean it, like you believe it. Now, I like pickups. I like trucks. But I think they can become an idol. And it might not... Driving a, a jacked-up diesel truck, you know, that might not send you to hell. But to the neighbors, it looks like that's where we're going, right? You're dumping the diesel smoke the whole way. What is it? Young ladies, what is within the heart? I don't know. I don't understand ladies yet. But I know that it could possibly that they discover within that heart of yours... Mr. Tall, Dark, and Handsome from across the aisle. I don't know how you relate in that manner, but it could be that one of them stole your heart. You can't get him off your mind, and he doesn't even have to be here tonight. Or maybe they discover within your heart jealousy. Maybe it's the latest novel that you read that you can't get off your mind. And it has just stole your, your attention. It has stole your throne. And for not just young people, but maybe it's our device. Maybe it's our device. Do you ever think about it? 
I don't know how you carry your cell phone, but let's say you carry your cell phone up here. That's pretty close to the heart. And then we take it out, and we stroke it like we like it. You don't know how that works, how you stroke a phone. That's how they do nowadays. But we get it out every five minutes. And Lonnie Yoder, I work for him, and some of you know him. He told me one day, he says, what if we do that with a New Testament? What if we would just pull a New Testament out every time we pull our cell phone out? What if we would go to, to our friends and say, look what I found this morning? Maybe you heard him say that, I don't know. So that was number three, some things that could be in our hearts that was designed for Jesus Christ. Number four. So the surgeon begins to cut, and he peers in, and he finds nothing more than a whole conglomeration of the fantasy world. We're all human here tonight, and there's a big possibility that the fantasy world has taken a hold of us, and when the surgeon peers in, it is nothing but what I say as a conglomeration of the fantasy world, which is simply, strictly congestive heart failure. It's a slow, slow death but it'll kill us. So secret. Nobody knows. Nobody knows until the surgeon took a, leap, took a peek into our heart. Congestive heart failure is severe, and we may not have until morning. You know, maybe, maybe in this conglomeration, God forbid that he would find my neighbor's wife or my neighbor's husband. You know, we had revival meetings, tent meetings one time in our community here a number of years ago. And to tell you what this kind of a heart condition looks like, and it ought, to, it ought to strike a fear in our hearts if we're at all involved in this kind of activities. But I, I was moderating, so I sat up here. The evangelist preached and gave an invitation, and I saw a man come forward, and he was not from the community, as you would think. He was not from amongst us. But he was responding to the altar call. And you know, when we had them all divided up with, with counselors, he was left there with me. I had an opportunity to pray with him. And he told me he can't pray anymore. He said he tried to pray and no words come out. And he, and he, is, he is so scared because he can no longer pray. And so we talked and we, we discussed and we've discovered that he's so bound by pornography, he's so bound by this vice that he could no longer pray again. And he said it was so dark. He said the darkness was pressing upon him. And that very night when he left the house, his full intent was to take his own life, but he pulled into the tent revivals on his way to do so. We can't say... Nobody knows it'll be all right 
Only Jesus can fix the congestive heart failure. Only Jesus can fix this heart condition. Number five. What might they find in surgery this evening? Well, the surgeon begins to cut and he peers in and he discovers the all too familiar image of self. There, in the throne room of our hearts sits self. Me, myself, and I. Self-centered. Vying for control of every situation that I find myself in. We know how these people are. We know how it looks. Is that what they're finding in our heart tonight? They control others. Always in control. They rule all the conversations. Number six. So the surgeon begins to cut another possibility that he could find as he opens his heart and he peers in. And I don't know what this looks like, but I know it's awfully ugly in the eyes of God, and that is rebellion. He pops that open and just wells up out of there is the, the, the rebellion that I hold within my heart. Rebellious spirit as a sin of witchcraft. Bucking against the authorities that God has placed in our lives, that God has placed over us. Vying for control and, and disagreement. Causing friction. Causing friction with church leaders. That happens. Is that something that is found within my heart tonight? Number seven. Talked a little bit about this earlier. So the surgeon begins to cut, and he peeps in, and he peers into this heart, and he discovers fear. The overwhelming fear that controls us and keeps us from enjoying peace, and keeps us from enjoying the, the joy of the Christian life. Because I live in fear. It's a controlling fear. The fear of failure. I don't even want to attempt to do anything because of the fear of failure in my life. Fear of doing it wrong. The Bible says that He has not given us the spirit of fear. It is not God's desire that any of His children should live and dwell in fear. Number eight. Maybe the surgeon cuts open our heart tonight and he looks in and he sees that there's nothing but doubt within our hearts. Doubt. Doubting our salvation. Doubting. Not living in victory. I said we can know. But maybe tonight we have a heart filled with doubt. And that is from Satan himself. Number nine. Maybe this is something that should have been number one. I don't know. But tonight, I know that this is a possibility that when he, the surgeon opens our heart tonight and we take a look into our own hearts, we find our occupation. 
Sometimes it's our occupation that rules and reigns in our heart, totally immersed and controlled by our jobs, by our occupations. And we are people who are, have a good work ethic, and we're going to protect that, and we're going to make sure that we are on par with that. We're controlled by our jobs. No time for church. No time for meetings. No time for Jesus. We're too busy. However that looks in our occupation. I've seen it. I've been there. That's number nine. Number ten. Maybe tonight when the doctor cuts into your heart or cuts into my heart and he takes and he just begins... He just begins his scalpel, and as he begins to touch the scalpel, our heart bursts open, and there is Jesus Christ ruling and reigning on the throne in all his glory and all alone in victory. Maybe that is what is discovered in our hearts tonight. But John is suggesting that we could struggle with idolatry, and he wants us to refrain from that and keep ourselves from idols but I trust that tonight we find Jesus Christ ruling and reigning in victory in this very heart that was designed. See, He will never share the throne room of our hearts with anybody or anything. Will the surgeon say, I found Jesus? You know, we hear the... Uh, the saying sometimes that it's what, what makes us tick. It's, it's things we enjoy. We would say it's what makes us tick. We need to be careful with that. Is it making our ticker tick? We can have things in our life that become more important than what God is in our life and our relationship with God. And it, rule, and it trumps our relationship with God So tonight and this week, I suggest that if Jesus Christ isn't ruling and reigning on the throne tonight, that tonight is the night of opportunity to invite him there, and he will rule and reign alone. So surgery's over. And today doctors will sew sick hearts back up and send them home and say there's no hope. But Jesus the surgeon he has never yet said there is no hope. There's always hope with Jesus. And he wants to come into our hearts and he wants to dwell therein. So may we allow the Spirit to have his way and ruling in our lives this week. But did we know, did you know, I want to remind us tonight, that Jesus has never entered our heart, that he was not invited. You see, we're the determining factor of whether Jesus Christ is ruling and reigning in our hearts. Because he has never 
entered into a heart without being invited, without the acknowledgement of who he is, without the acknowledgement of who we are. Revelations 3, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come in into him and he will sup and will sup with him and he with me. That is a picture of Jesus standing at the door of our heart and he's knocking. And he's knocking and he's knocking. The question is, how long has he been knocking? How long will he be knocking? Because he will never enter until he is invited. And he wants to come in. He wants to come in, and that is why he stands there and knocks. And I think it's a beautiful picture of our hearts. With Jesus standing and knocking, desiring to come in. But he will not enter in until he is the door is open and he is invited into that heart. So tonight, we're going to give an invitation, and if you're here and there was something discovered in our lives, in our hearts, other than Jesus Christ, I invite you to come forward and invite Jesus into your heart. And we come forward and we give Jesus opportunity to rule and reign on the throne that he has created for him alone. So I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a song of Just As I Am, a verse or two. And if you're here and you want to pray with somebody, I'm going to ask you to come forward, and uh, we'll have somebody pray with you. Let's pray. Father in heaven, we thank you for the opportunity to look into your word, the clarity of the gospel that you save and that you desire to save and you are still saving today, and that you stand at our doors of our hearts and you knock, and you knock, and you knock, and you're long-suffering towards us. And Lord, I pray if there is anything in our hearts tonight that is not Jesus Christ, if there's something that is ruling and reigning on the throne room of our hearts that was discovered tonight, that you would show us, that your spirit would prompt us, and we would know, we would be, it would be clear to us that we need to get right with you, that we need to allow you to come in and cleanse and to make us whole, and to heal us, that we could find peace, we could find freedom from this bondage of idolatry. We just ask that you would bind the powers of Satan, demons, and devils tonight, that they would not have any influence here and could not distract from this place, but that you would move amongst us tonight. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen. Shall we sing? And if you want to come forward tonight, I invite you to come forward.